Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the spirit uh, guiding Matthew, speaking through Matthew, moving him as a holy man to write down these words. We thank you for your preserving hand on them through the centuries and for what they reveal to us about the Lord Jesus and about us and about your kingdom. Help us now as we look at them to learn to have ears that are quick to believe and hands that are quick to obey. And we thank you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, comes to Jesus with a request. Let me just give you a little bit of background, such as it is. Uh, if we took the time, which we're not going to take, to, to look at Matthew 27, Mark 15, Mark 16, and John 19, 25. By the way, if you would like to keep any of this, all you've got to do is take your phone and take a picture of the screen, and then you've got all those verses right there. You can look them up. Uh, if, if we took and looked at those, we would see that by a, a process of elimination, the mother of James and John was probably named Salome. And she was probably the, the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. Meaning she was probably Jesus' aunt, aunt, maybe you say here in Nebraska. And James and John then would be his cousins. She wants Jesus, simply put, to give her sons a field promotion. It's not yet time for rewards. It's not yet time. We, the, the, the white throne judgment has not taken place. We've not been brought before him for rewards. She wants a field promotion that they would sit on either side of him in his kingdom. This is really significant. In the ancient world, to, to sit on the right hand and the left hand side of the king meant occupying the second and third positions of authority in the kingdom. It's not a small thing that she's asking. So are there such positions in the kingdom of God? In the kingdom of God, do we see comparable levels of authority 
and hierarchy as we do in, in earthly kingdoms. Um, this is what I think. I think that the Bible is frustratingly silent on the eternal state. It just tells us so little. We just don't know. Uh, but I don't believe that there's going to be any political entities apart from the kingdom of God ruled by Jesus Christ. The word nations in scripture is not a word for governments. It's a word for ethnicities. It has nothing to do with legal government. It has everything to do with one's ethnicity, with who you are as a, as a person. Uh, what we know as political nations today, the United States, North Korea, would be called kingdoms in scripture. And there's only going to be one kingdom. If there's going to be human hierarchies within the eternal state, those human hierarchies then are not going to function according to earthly government. They're going to function according to the kingdom of God. My belief is that the organizational chart of the kingdom of God is very, very simple. The triune God is at the top, and then we are beneath. And I don't think that there are hierarchies beneath. We need that today. We need leaders. We need elected leaders. And not only elected leaders, but we need police. And we need levels of government. And we need bureaucracies. The vast majority of that is necessary because of sin. It's necessary to have police because I'm a sinner. And I got to tell you, if there was no speed limit, <laughs> I would go faster than I do. I picked up mom this morning to go to Creighton. She lives on, off the of Prospect, pulled down to Prospect and 13th Street, sitting at a red light. A car went by, and I just made a left-hand turn on that red light. <coughs> and as soon as I started out, I thought, what am I doing? Oh, no. And somehow I had it in my mind it was a stop sign. It's not a stop sign. It's a red light. I drive that, but in most, time, most times, at least I'm there twice a week, Sunday morning and Wednesday. And half the time I got to sit there at that red light. But see, I'm a sinner. And sometimes I accidentally violate the law and sometimes I deliberately violate the law. So there's this whole system designed to keep you safe from me and me safe from you. By the way, uh, very entertaining. Go on to YouTube and look up Fridays with Frank. Frank is a... Uh, a deputy sheriff in uh, Pinnell, Pinnell, Pinnell County, Arizona. Yeah. And he, he's a crack-up. He's a crack-up. He pulls people over the three- or four-minute videos. He's just really funny. See, I represent the mountain of right, and you represent the valley of wrong. <laughs> he's just funny. There's not going to be a need for that in the, the eternal state because we are without sin, because there is no devil to tempt us. And we have no sin nature. It won't be necessary for the Lord Jesus to give me an instruction so that I can pass it on to Dakota and Dakota can pass it on to Adam and then make sure that Adam keeps it. I think the Spirit of God will simply communicate to us what he wants to in his way. And we will live in faith and obedience during that time without having to be held to that. Somewhere in the Old Testament, I'd like, there's a couple of references in the New Testament like that. Somewhere, someone has said, so I feel justified in using that every once in a while. Somewhere in the Old Testament is the statement, and I think it's tied to the New Covenant. In that day, no one will say to his brother, know the Lord, because they will all know him. There won't be any need, in other words, for this hierarchy. 
that is necessary today. In answering her, Jesus does not mock her request. He doesn't mock her her desire. He simply addresses their ignorance. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able? You don't know what you're asking. Now, it's not the first time that, that the, the brothers Zebedee have pushed the limits. In Luke 19, we read of an event where they were heading from Galilee to Jerusalem. They were going to go through Samaria. They stopped at a village, and the village refused to help them, refused to grant them shelter, refused to give them food, sell them food, whatever. James and John went to Jesus, and they said, Would you like us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? And Jesus said, No. No, the, the, the text of Luke says he rebuked them for it. There's an additional, it's a variant in the text. There's an additional variant where he says, you don't know what spirit you were of. You know, the son of man didn't come to destroy, but to save. Uh, that doesn't appear in scripture until the fifth century. So most likely he didn't say that. It was enough that he just rebuked them. No, enough said. So it's not the first time that they've pushed the limits. So Jesus points to his crucifixion. Are, are you able to drink the cup that I'm, I'm about to drink? Are, are you able to suffer on the cross for all the sins of the people of God and completely satisfy the wrath of God? Now, they couldn't know that, which is why they said, we are able. Yeah, we can do that. Pride goes before destruction, Proverbs 16 says. A haughty spirit before stumbling uh, human pride is the most corrosive substance known to man. It destroys everything. We know Peter, of course, promised to never betray the Lord. Matthew twenty six thirty five. Though everybody else deny you, I will die with you. I'll, I'll never betray you. What we often don't remember is that Matthew goes on to say, and the other disciples said the same thing. They also promised not to betray Peter, of course, did. The others did run. John, uh, bless his heart, and I don't mean that in a southern way, by the way. John, bless his heart, was at the crucifixion. But we don't know that any of the rest were. None of the rest are said to have been there. So Jesus says to them, well, my cup you shall drink. You will endure tremendous suffering. And there's a little, it's just interesting from the point of view of biblical history. He's speaking to James and John. James would be the first to die as a martyr, beheaded at the order of Herod. John would be the last to die. By tradition, uh, the, the late uh, early second century church writers said that John died of old age. They also said that they tried to kill him, but they were not able to kill him. I don't know if that's valid or not but he he most likely died of old age james suffered as the first one in that intense period of opposition at at the hand of herod john had to live and watch everybody else die he kept getting the news thomas is gone thaddeus is gone peter's gone and eventually i'm sure john starts saying um 
what about me? I'm still here. I'm still here. Remember at the end of the Gospel of John, Peter points to John and says, well, what about him? Jesus says, that's none of your business. If I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? So maybe John starts thinking, well, maybe I'm going to be here till the Lord returns. They would suffer. All of them would suffer. God's people do suffer. But granting positions of honor in the kingdom is a right that belongs solely to the father. It's interesting. I, I love the faith of their mother. We see the faith of their mother. There is a kingdom coming. She believes that. Jesus is the king of that kingdom. She believes that. She then jumps to this idea about human government. Promote my sons to the positions on your right and your left. And again, I don't think that those positions existed, but she believed that if they did, Jesus had the authority to to put her sons there. But Jesus says, I don't have that authority. That belongs to my father. I can't make that promise to you. Uh, my, my thinking there, I, I don't know that I can prove it exactly from scripture, but my thinking there is that the answer is not simply that God says to you and I, I will determine your reward. The father says, I will determine your reward. I think it's also the father protecting the dignity of the son. If my, sons ha- if my son does have such close companions in eternity, they will be men I know are faithful. I'm not going to allow just anybody to step up there. Because ultimately, all of this is about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about him. So this is probably a little bit of a disappointing answer to James and John, but at least they got their request in early, right? Wouldn't the other disciples have done the same thing? Well, yes, they would have. And they were mad that they didn't think of it first. Hearing this, the ten became indignant. With the two disciples, that word indignant means that they... They were angry at a perceived injustice or insult. It's not just that they're upset. It's that they've been insulted somehow. Well, they they think that they're better than us. Well, yeah, just like you think you're better than them. (laughs) It could have been that they were just as humble as as they could be, and they were just angry that James and John were that much off the mark. I just think that they're angry that James and John thought of it first and they got there first. It's like, if it's that easy, I should have asked. So before we look at Jesus' answer, I just want to pause and consider that attitude. The world functions according to looking out for self. That seems to have always been true. It seems to be, and it's odd to say, but it seems to be coming be more true as time goes on. The, the homosexual movement, the transgender movement, the uh, the abortion movement, grooming children now for sexual deviancy, uh, insisting that one ethnic group is made up purely of innocent victims and another ethnic group is made up of pure criminals. All of that is based on the idea that I'm the most important being in the universe. I am. Um, it's based on the same self, in, in, in the inherent self-centeredness 
that Lucifer had that we, we read about in Isaiah 14 when Lucifer decides using today's language, he decides to identify as God. I will be like the most high. Men who pretend to be women, women who pretend to be men are just mimicking the devil. I can decide to be something and actually be that thing. The desire to, to gain a position of power or privilege for you and I is probably always wrong. If what we desire is to gain power, I think it's just wrong. I think it just points out something that's sour within us. It's very rare that we even put anybody into political power who doesn't then turn and twist and sour, even if they had good intentions going in. If, if you want to pour yourself out in prayer for our country, consider praying long and hard for Mike Flood and Pete Ricketts. Both of those men are now on the national stage, and that national stage is going to do everything that it can to corrupt them in a way that just doesn't happen at the state level. So let's remember what these men and their mother forgot, that God removes kings and establishes kings. That's Daniel 2.21. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless Yahweh builds the house, they labor in vain who build. We build. We strive. We work. We're not to lay passively back and let things happen around us. We're to, to expend effort. But in the process, unless God is behind it, it won't, it won't work. And humility before God means we put out our effort and then we leave the results in his hands. We need to live as dry land farmers. We need to live as dry land farmers. We need to live with a desire to work hard. But then understand humbly that God must bring what we need or it won't happen. We need to have that humility. Well, Jesus calls them to himself. And he says that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of slaves. He says to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them that that means to forcefully dominate and their great men exercise authority over them it is not this way among you but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave let, let me point out that he he doesn't say it should not be this way among you he says it is not this way among you if you find yourself in a church, this church included, where leadership forcefully dominates, you need to get out. It's not a church. The kingdom of God doesn't function that way. Where things are happening that way, the kingdom of God is not present. Where the word of God is proclaimed is where we want to be. Because things must be said and decisions must be made but they need to be made under the authority of Scripture, not above it. And where did they get the idea that the kingdom of God would be about power and privilege? Well, from the kingdoms of the world, from the Gentiles. That wasn't at all a new thing. God had always wanted his people to take, his, take their lead from him and his word, but Israel had always been sharply jealous of the surrounding nations, and that's why they've been so quick to adopt their practices. We want to be like the Ninevites. We want to be like the Canaanites. We want to be like the Hivites and the Hittites and the Amorites. We want to be like them. Let's live like them. Let's worship like them. Let's adopt their gods. 
That was their constant sin. And it's why ultimately they were sent into captivity. And from the moment that they were taken captive by Babylon until 70 AD when Israel ceases to exist as a nation, they were never again sovereign. They were always under the thumb of somebody else, the Babylonians, then the Medes, and the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. They were never free after that. Every one of those kingdoms, just like every other earthly kingdom all the way to this moment, was built and maintained and sustained by the forceful exercise of power and control. The United States exists because King George III decided to exercise domination. I'm going to tax you for silly things. And there were some people who said, you know, we've had enough of that. And we rebelled. We rebelled. Right or wrong, less than a century later, we went to war because another group of people decided that they didn't want to be dominated. Again, right or wrong, the Civil War was about one group trying to maintain their freedom and another group forcefully dominating. It's just within the human condition. The lords of the or the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, like masters rule over slaves. The Herods were only faithful to the Romans for one reason, and that is the, 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 the authority of Rome. It was Rome that kept them in power at the lash of a whip. The kingdom of God functions on a different basis. It's topsy-turvy. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who is the slave of all. That's Jesus himself. That's Jesus. The son of man did not come to be served as a king would come to be served. I remember Linda and I were, were visiting somebody overseas and uh, in, in a country that values face, that values dignity and honor. And we heard a story about the, the head of the organization making a surprise visit and incurring the wrath of the locals because the head of the organization did not give them advance notice so that they could greet him in a worthy way. And so then they treated him in an unworthy way. We demand to have a king who wants to, who wants to dominate us, and when we get a king who doesn't want to dominate us, we throw him out. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, Philippians 2.7 says by being made in the likeness of men. Those are equivalent. To be a human being is to be a slave of God. We are created to be slaves of God. We are created to be servants of God. In basic terms, there's two words that are used. Diakonos is the word we get deacon from. It means a table waiter, but typically that's a servant who gets paid for their service. A doulos is a slave. They do the work, but they don't get paid. We are not diakonoi. We are douloi. We're slaves. Adam was given dominion over the earth. And so as Adam stood wherever he stood, he could look down from him and say, behold, I have dominion. But if Adam turned and looked up, he would say, behold, I am a slave. 
we don't often want that. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of slaves that is ruled by the one king who made himself the slave of all. True leadership in the kingdom of God is humble. And the great ones of the kingdom are those who serve the king. Now, there's, there's no truth that we can't twist and pervert. And so Jesus doesn't say, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, period. Because then what would we do? We would say, oh, well, this is how you can serve me. Right? So we've got the man in, in the gospel of Luke who comes to Jesus and says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, no. We have people in John chapter 6 who want to make Jesus king by force. And he says, no. We have a couple of men in Matthew chapter 8 who offer to follow Jesus, but only on their terms. And he says, no. See, Jesus came to serve so that we would be the beneficiaries of his service but he didn't come to serve us. He came to serve the father. So he adds this phrase to give his life a ransom for many. And in that he defines what his service is. Jesus is here to serve me. How? By giving his life as a ransom for me, not by making me happy, not by making me rich, not by making me successful, not by giving me all power, but by ransoming me from my own judgment, from my own sin that deserves the judgment of God rather. God is the only one who gets to define Jesus' service. Think about it this way. John 1.1 1, 1 says Jesus is the word. Well, God is the lexicographer who defines the word. We don't get to define it. We don't get to use the word any way we want. It has a meaning. It has a purpose that God has assigned, that God has determined. If we come to Jesus Christ and we ask him to do what the father has commanded him to do, he will do it gladly. And there's no question that we will benefit. If we come to Jesus and try the pressure thing of naming him in your name, I pray as though his hand has to move involuntarily. We'll just hear him say what he said to the people in scriptures. No, no. As I've tried to Work out prayer in my own mind. Prayer is just a weird thing. The more you think about the act of prayer, the weirder it gets. I came up with this thought years ago, and I, I still ponder it from time to time. You cannot force the hand of God, but you can tug at his heart. So as we bring this home, Christians are called to be servants. But we're not called to simply decide, okay, I'll be a servant. It's not that we're called to make ourselves servants. It's that we are servants. The question is whether we are a faithful, obedient servant or disobedient. Being transformed into the image of Christ must mean becoming more and more like a slave to God the Father and living for the sake of others. There's no question that each, of, each one of us have needs. There's no need to apologize for that. None, none. But we are called to build one another up and serve 
one another and not simply use one another to get our needs our needs met uh, a slave is not greater than his master jesus said in john 13 if the master was a slave how much more are, are we slaves the more we embrace this the more content we'll be the more settled we'll be because the more rightly we are related to the lord <clears throat> this is my, my 30th year of pastoral ministry it's hard to imagine when I, when I started thinking when I was 29 that the Lord was calling me to go to seminary and enter pastoral ministry, I, I legitimately thought at 29, it's kind of too late for me. I'm kind of old to do this. Especially to give three years of schooling for something before I actually start. That just seemed like forever at the time. In the four churches I've served in 30 years, not one person has ever left a church saying there aren't enough opportunities to give my life and serve here. But many have left saying that the church didn't satisfy their desires or meet their expectations. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served. It's the same as him saying the Son of Man did not come to be a customer. The Son of Man did not come to be a consumer, but to be a provider and to be a servant. So Peter, uh, James and John, rather, wanted a place of honor in the kingdom, and Jesus tells them how to achieve it. Serve. Serve. He says the same thing to you and me today. Don't ask, how do I get more? Ask, how do I give more? Don't ask, how do I get my needs met? Ask, what, uh, what needs of others can I meet? Let me close with Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Serve the Lord Christ. Father, we thank you for your love for us and the truth of your word. I ask that you would cause your word to resonate in our hearts, that we would ponder it, that we would meditate on it, that your spirit would apply it to us uniquely as only he can. If there are things that we need to confess, help us to do that. If there are things that we need to uh, understand and trust, help us to do that. Allow our hearts and minds to be focused on you. We thank you for this day. We lift up those who are not with us and ask for your blessing to be upon them and look forward to being gathered again. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.